Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back, and let's go to the phones. And joining us, as he does every week at this time, is Nate Polinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing well, but I guess I really screwed up. Karen told me you were on the line already, so you heard me talking about it. I was on. I heard the nice things. Uh, that's, that's two or three in a month, Terry. You're starting to spoil me, buddy. Starting to spoil I think me. I'm getting, I think I'm getting soft in my old age is what's happening. <laughs> totally it. <laughs> so I know we got, you know, this time of the year, Nate, it's hard to decide what we want to talk about. I mean, there's so much you know, going on. We've got... You got big game. You got the fall fishing is fantastic. You got upland game coming up. You got waterfall. It's just you know the outdoorsman. It's just a a plethora of activities in Colorado. So I know you're going to cover a couple. So just dig right in. You know, Terry, it is honestly of all the shows we've done in the last month or so. I got to say this one probably has the most information just because so much is going on. And you know, there's always fall fishing, and usually of all the species that we target, there's one or two that stands out. Honestly, we had that cold front really drop the water temperatures, then it warmed up, and it's kind of been the best. We have everything going on. So, I mean, right now we're kind of in, uh, there's an eastern big game season going on as far as your deer hunting out east. But really we are in kind of a lull in anticipation for the second rifle coming up. So next Saturday starts our second rifle uh, here in Colorado, which is a combined season. So it's our first deer rifle hunt. It's our second elk rifle hunt. Um, and, and it's looking great. If you are a big game hunter, you know that our structured seasons are later this year. So this is a very, very late second rifle so it's awesome so a general second rifle tag is just a little early for deer um and kind of puts you in that prime kind of uh you know early post rut on elk and this year the second rifle is lining up to be perfect so it's later um than a normal second rifle would be so it is putting us in a very prime time for some big deer we're not really in a rut phase yet but i'll tell you it's late enough in the season and it's been cool enough in the high country to where a lot of those big deer are starting to come out uh, mandy has a second rifle tag uh so i've been out scouting a lot and i'm seeing a lot bigger deer um, than I normally would in the second rifle. So it's exciting. So I'm seeing bigger deer than normal. So we're pumped about that. And then on the second phase of the elk, it's usually post rut. So usually we make it through the first rifle season and you see a lot of the mature bulls leave the cows. With that said, they started to do that right during that first rifle hunt. So by that, you know, second, third day of first rifle, we saw a lot of these bulls leaving. And usually they are kind of in hiatus. They're hiding in the dark timber during the second rifle. This year, we are late enough in that second rifle that we're already seeing a lot of these independent bulls and bachelor group of bulls coming out of that timber, starting to feed again, starting to spend some time in some open country and falling back into a regular pattern. So by next Saturday, I think our post-rut bulls are going to be starting to get into a normal early wintering pattern. So I think they're going to be very vulnerable by being out in the open. So I think next Saturday in your combined elk and deer season, you're going to have some giant deer out because it's late enough. You're going to have a deer or excuse me, elk far enough along in the post-rut phase that they're going to be active. So I'm really anticipating a, a very, very successful second rifle just because I've been out every day scouting and it's looking good. So that's kind of that report there and I couldn't be more excited about it. And then as you cross over into fishing, Terry, the you know, sky Nate, is the winner. Nate, 
before we cross into fishing, we got some time. With this difference in the deer and elk season this year, give us one maybe mistake you might be worried about that people will make with it being different or a tip that might help them. Something that maybe that they really need to pay attention to. The, perfect. The, the biggest thing with the deer, I am seeing drastically big deer. So we're seeing extremely mature animals kind of statewide starting to come down. They start to drop out of the high country. They're starting to come out of the timber. They're not with the does, but they're kind of watching the does. With that being said, we're enough to the rut to where these deer are decisions. Once the true rut kicks in, all these deer care about is breeding. And again, I don't ever want to call them dumb, but they definitely get careless once the rut's here and you can get by making mistakes. We are not close enough to the rut for those big deer to where I've been seeing them every day, multiple big deers in multiple areas and regions of the state. So with that said, if you put too much pressure on these big deer, you get winded, you slam the car doors, you you know get caught moving around a lot, they will leave and they will not return until that rut starts kicking in. So I think a lot of the real big deer, you're going to have one or two opportunities on. So you can scout them now, find them, build patterns, then come back. Don't get careless. Don't, you know, go in too early. And let them... Again, I think people are going to get used to seeing some big deer throughout the week of scouting, but make no mistake. They're not here for the rut. So they're here now, but they are still very sensitive to pressure. So you overpressure them, you booger them up in any way, and they're going to they're gonna be gone and not come back uh, until basically the middle of third rifle. So, again, be super cautious with that. Same thing with the elk. I think the biggest thing is with the elk, you're looking for that smaller groups and you are definitely hunting a very small window. These bachelor bulls and independent bulls, the ones I've been watching this last week have been active for maybe an hour in the morning, an hour at night. So you have to be set up in position, really ready to activate to, to create that successful opportunity early. So if your bulls are in four miles, five miles, it's not things down until eight thirty nine in the morning. I talked to hunters this week, you know, out scouting. They're like, man, it's nine o'clock. I can't believe the bulls are in the trees. And I'm like, nine o'clock. Like, man, it's, you know, seven o'clock. I'm starting to see these bulls retreat back to kind of their bedding grounds. They are in a rest phase. They just bred for, you know, four weeks, six weeks. They've been working hard. Um, their daytime patterns are very short. A lot of what they're doing is nocturnal. So again, my biggest tip to the elk, Make sure that you are in position, have them scouted out, and, and you capitalize on a very short daytime window uh, to create that success. So those are the two biggest tips going into the second rifle season. Great, great, great information, Nate. Now let's go into the fishing. And I know you guys are on the water guiding. Fall fishing can be just some of the best of the year. What are you seeing out there? So I'm going to kind of run you through the bites quick, and then we can kind of elaborate. So we're starting hills. Number one, I probably saw the biggest and most successful spawn of browns that I've ever seen in my life at Antero. Um, I mean, these fish are at the boat dock. They're at the inlet. They're on sandy, rocky portions of the little islands and shorelines. Um, I, it's been many years since I've seen the the browns gather this good at Antero. Uh, we're seeing fish to 30 inches, a lot of those mid 20 inch fish, full spawn colors, um, and we're catching them with everything. If they're truly in kind of that spawn cycle, we're doing best with fly rods, egg patterns, worms, uh, the traditional spawning fly presentations in shallow water, and that bite is awesome. In a, in a pre-post 
from that spawn post spawn. Um, but for the conventional tackle angler, we're catching them on hair jigs, and most importantly, we're catching them on jerk bait. Um, but that big brown population at Antero right now, it's shining. We're also seeing a lot of browns at 11 miles. So we are getting towards, let's say, the tail end of that. So this is not a bite that I would wait around on. But if you're looking for that big giant brown, which we have lots of in Colorado, um, right now that opportunity is thriving. So, so that's definitely a must bite to try out. Um, also, speaking of South Park, those big rainbows, our water is now in the 40s. So we're 42 to 46 degrees, depending on the day. Everybody thinks that water cools off and the mindset is to go deeper. And it's opposite. And we talk about this all the time. We talk about it at seminars. The, the biggest I'd say myth of the Colorado angler is fishing too deep. In this situation right now, these big giant rainbows are in extremely shallow water. We're seeing them move up into shallow as one foot, two foot of water. And then maybe on the deep feet of water right now, you go out to that eight, 10 feet, you're catching fish, but they're on the smaller side. You want to have a good day of big fish and big numbers it's all about shallow water two three feet of water and that's everywhere 11 mile and tarot we're hearing about that in middle park north park um so as that water cools so many anglers think that everything slows down go deeper they associate the cold water to cold fishing when in reality those fish thrive in it they're shallow they're aggressive uh and that bite is on and it's phenomenal and again kind of one of those must bites you know, before we move on from that, if you can get a boat on anywhere right now, or even if you're shore fishing, especially the mountain lakes, and soon down here on the front range, it's time to start, if you're an ice fisherman, it's time to start noting where those... Oh, I lost you. Is that later, Terry? Yeah, I'm here. Did you All hear right. me? Perfect. Yep, I did. You know, it's funny that you said that, because yesterday... I actually marked 12 different coordinates on Antero for ice fishing spots. Very particular little fall-offs on sand to rock. Uh, some particular weed lines that are very active. Uh, I marked a lot, and I actually had ice, very skim ice, but in the little boat.covid Antero, you know, it was only one foot from shore, but I got there. It was 12 degrees in Antero yesterday morning. That water's 42, and I had skim ice on the shore. Again, we're a long list from ice fishing there, uh, but I know some guys that are hiking in the lakes at 13,000, 14,000, or 13,000, I should say, and there is ice there. So uh, whether you like it or not, ice is coming, and it's coming quick. So every time I'm on the water, no matter where I'm at, I am definitely having that in mind, setting some special coordinates, marking it on a handheld device or your phone, uh, and prepping for it. Because, again, where the fish are now statewide is a good starting point of where they're going to be come early ice. So so definitely positive there. And then as we swing on the front range, Terry, Chatfield, Cherry Creek, Pueblo, they are all fishing good. Um, I'd love to spend a second breaking down Chatfield, Cherry Creek, uh, especially because we're seeing the multi-species thing go. Uh, Chatfield right now, uh, you go out there today, we have guides out there today. We've got a walleye bite going day and night. So daytime, jigging wraps, blades on structure. Nighttime, these fish are very much repeating kind of a springtime. You can cast jerk bait, you can troll jerk bait, you can stroll jerk bait, uh, but there's a ton of shad, and those big walleyes are right under the shad bait. Thick bait again. Those big fish are sitting about four to six feet below the surface, and that bite is on. 
Okay, Nate, uh, we lost a little bit. Of that. I think we got most of it. Go ahead. All right, so, so again, that night bite at Chatfield, day bite at Chatfield, blades and wraps during the day, jerk baits at night, it is on fire. Then you move over to kind of more daytime activity. The smallmouth have now made the transition from a crawdad forage to a shad forage. So what that is, is, you know, when our walleye, or excuse me, when our bass around that 55-degree mark, they make the determination from shad to crawdads to kind of multiple food sources. Once that water starts getting into that mid-50s, we start to see the transition of these bass leaving the shorelines and starting to activate in deeper water when they start feeding on shad. The bass have now done that. So you can now go to deeper structure. You can target smallmouth just like a walleye, spoons, blade baits, jigging wraps. Um, And when you find these bass, they are stacked up. When they're on the shore... It's kind of a bass here, a bass there. When they move to that deeper structure and stack up, I drove over a, kind of an underwater, deep water roadbed at Chatfield the other day, and there was probably 500 bass stacked on it. Um, I mean, it is literally so much fun uh, to target these bass in that deeper water. They're in you know, anywhere from 18 to 30 feet of water, and they are stacked. So the, the smallmouth by a Chatfield, now they're in that deep water, uh, vertical jigging, absolutely a ball great bite for anyone youth anglers you know family new anglers uh they're stacked up and, and i wouldn't say that they're hard to catch so that bite's great we are also seeing our perch stacked on deeper water flats so 18 to 30 feet of water sitting on mud our perch have gathered up you talk to a lot of anglers that talk about the the booming days of perch at Chatfield how those perch are stacked up. So, again, 18 to 30-foot mud flats. Those perch are running on the small end, 8 inches on the big end, 13 to 14 inches. They are jumbos, and they're there. So if you're a perch panfish angler, there's opportunity at Chatfield to hit right now. And then you jump over to Cherry Creek, same thing. Daytime walleyes, jigs, wraps, nighttime jerkbaits. Um, and, again, you talk about a fish that's cranking out a lot of 30-inch fish. It's at Cherry Creek right now in that low-light period. All right, my friend, we are out of time. Tell people if they want to book a trip or more information, how they get a hold of you and any upcoming events. Absolutely. You can always go to our Facebook page, go to our website. We are going to start talking a lot of ice fishing coming up here very soon. Uh, so excited about that. Follow that and always go to the Colorado Parks and Wildlife social media pages. We've got some great live feeds this Tuesday covering more in-depth detail about that second rifle elk tag. So a lot of stuff. Just look us up social or the web. And we'll get you all that information. All right, my friend, and I'll try not to be so nice to you next week. <laughs> I appreciate it, sir. <laughs> All right, Nate, have a good rest of the weekend. Nate Zelinski, always a great resource. Before I, let, before I go to a break here, I want to let you know, Nate and I were talking about using your GPS right now to mark ice fishing spots. You know, whether it's a piece of structure that you isolated on your boat that's so much easier to find than you can during the uh, the ice season or where the fish are active, you probably put some spots in. I did a couple shows on electronics. Now, they're a little bit older electronics, but the concepts are there. I did one at Dowdy uh, Reservoir where I used GPS that I'd gotten in the summer and showed you how I went right to the fish, found them and caught them in the winter. And then I did something similar at North Michigan Reservoir, where I showed you how to use the electronics to really isolate those fish for ice fishing. So go to The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom on YouTube and take a look at those. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, the folks from Jack's are going to join us, and we're going to talk about the availability of gear for all these hunting activities that are going on right here in Colorado on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Got it, I knew. 
the Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear, our source for all our outdoor needs. Um, if you've never been in one of their many stores up and down the front range, you're doing yourself a disservice. Whatever your outdoor activity, Jack's has the equipment to take care of you. And speaking of that, joining us from the Fort Collins Store Hunting Department is Holden. Good morning, Holden. Good morning, Terry. How are you doing today? You know, I am doing great. It's definitely fall is in the air. Um, the temperatures are changing. It's seasonal, warm, nice during the day, cool nights. Gets all the animals moving, and that's why the hunting seasons are so active. You know, we have waterfall, we have big game, we have upland coming up. We have just so much going on. And a lot of people are still worried about getting, you know, continuing to hunt, getting ammo, getting firearms, getting equipment. So I thought you and I could kind of visit some of the hunting seasons and talk about how Jax is doing. And let's start with waterfall. Um, one of the big concerns going into this year was ammo. How are you guys doing with ammo for waterfall? Yeah, Terry, we're doing really well on ammo so far on the steel side of things. Um, for ducks and geese, we have a ton of goose loads in right now. And, you know, that season's coming up right around here for November 1st, so right around the corner. Uh, we're doing really well there. We got a bunch in for BBs, anywhere from 3-inch to 3.5-inch shells for you guys. Um, so we're really well stocked up there. What about calls and decoys? Now, you and I talked earlier and you said you have quite a few decoys now, but you're starting to see some delays in shipments. We are, yes. So we're really well stocked up on goose decoys. We're getting a little bit lower on ducks, but we still have quite a few in. Um, primarily, you know, we're carrying avian and GHG, so really good decoys um, that aren't going to break the bank. So, And there are going to be delays. I was talking to some distributors, and they're saying that they're definitely seeing delays in the shipping processes right now. And I think that's everybody, and that's why we want to keep people up to date. What about as far as shotguns? I'll, I'll get back to calls in a minute, but what about shotguns? Yeah, absolutely. And on the gun side of things, we're doing really well here at Jack's keeping stocked up. Um, even if you're looking for a semi-automatic, we got some really great affordable options. Or if you like a classic pump-action shotgun, we have even more affordable options, anything from Benelli to Franke to Weatherby's. Yeah, you guys carry a great, great selection, and it's not too late to get that shotgun and 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 get out there and get some practice and go uh, and go do some hunting. The last thing before we move on with the waterfall is um, the calls. Are you doing pretty well on calls? We are, yeah. So we have a lot of Primos in right now. We do have a little bit higher end zinc calls as well. So we're pretty stocked up on them. However, we are seeing them come off the shelves pretty quick, especially since the seasons are here. Now let's move on. We got um, the big game season's coming. Is it too late for me to get a, a new rifle for big game? Are you pretty well stocked? And what about optics? Absolutely. On the rifle scene, we're really, really well stocked up. We have a lot of Savage, a lot of Ruger, and a little bit nicer like Pika and Begaras. Um, and we're doing even better on scopes. We have a lot of loophole scopes and a lot of Vortex scopes, both with great warranties and awesome glass. So we're doing really well on that scene. Now, if I've, I still have time to come in, I could get a rifle. You guys will mount the scope and bore sighter, right? Then I could take it, like, to my friends at Colorado Clays and uh, let them help me finish sighting it in. Is that typical of what you would see? You betcha, yeah. We'll completely set up your rifle, get you bases, rings, the scope, and we'll have you on paper at 50 yards when you walk out the door. All right. Now, what about the ammo for big game? Is that going to affect what rifle you should purchase right now? Or do you have pretty good diversity of ammo for big game? 
Yeah, you know, big game ammo has been a lot harder to find as of lately. Um, we're seeing a lot of 30 calibers, so, you know, 30-06, 308s are coming in really regularly. However, some of the oddball rounds like 6.5 and 7 millimeter, we're not seeing quite as much of. Um, so I definitely stick more towards the 30 caliber side of things for big game. Well, you know, in the 30-06 and 308s and 30-30s even, I was what I hunted with in Minnesota, both in my youth and as an adult, and those have just been calibers that have stood the test of time. I know everybody wants always to get the newest, fastest, best um, ammunition or best caliber out there. But sometimes those reliable ones, because you know there's so many guns out there, the ammunition manufacturers have to supply it. Absolutely, and that's exactly what it is. A lot of those 30-06s, 308s, 3030s, like you're talking about, they're just tried and true. They're a lot easier to find ammo for, and you're not going to break the bank when you do find it. Now, as far as Upland game, that's going to be starting here before we know it. We talked a little bit about shotguns, and a lot of the same guns that you would use for a waterfall, you can switch over and use for Upland, or sometimes it go a little different, but you said you were pretty well stocked with shotguns. So, you're, How about the over-unders or something like that? Have you got a few of those? Yeah, we do. We have a lot of over-unders. Um, we're doing really well on those. And one thing to keep in mind when you're switching over from waterfowl to upland is chokes, making sure you have the appropriate chokes in your shotgun. That's going to be the most important thing. Um, and that's something we carry a wide variety of Carlson choke tubes that make sure that you're shooting the best of your ability when you're out there. Well, and chokes on most modern shotguns, it's pretty easy to change a choke. If you have an older shotgun, you have to be really careful if it has a choke built in or what you can put on it. And some of them you can't shoot steel shot through older guns. You have to be a little careful. And speaking of that, you told me lead shot for shotguns is a little more difficult. It is. Uh, yeah, for the upland birds, the lead shot we haven't been seeing come in um, like we should have been. It's just another one of those supply and demand things. We are going to hopefully get some in here before pheasant season on November 13th. So we should have some coming in. However, it has been a lot tougher to find. Um, and, you know, primarily we're looking at four-shot, five-shot, and six-shot that's going to be coming in. Now, if you don't get enough lead in, are a lot of people using the steel shot for, for their upland game? Yes, and that's a great thing to be doing. Um, if you can't find lead, go to steel, uh, especially if you've been using four-shot steel on ducks all early season. Feel free to go out there and shoot some pheasants with the same thing. Um, you're not going to have to change up your lead a whole lot, and you should already be pretty familiar with it. Yeah, and one of the things I always tell people, if you're going to go shoot some clays or even pattern your gun, um, try to do it with what you're going to hunt with because it can really make a difference and just be comfortable. It's just a great uh, a great thing to do. The last thing I want to talk to you about, this weather changing, I know this is always a concern of yours when you see customers come in. You see a lot of people buying warmer clothing, but maybe not necessarily the right clothing. It's great clothing, but they don't know how to pair it up. Is that right? Absolutely, Terry. And that's one thing we're seeing more and more of is the most important thing when you're getting clothing is the layering process that you're doing it with. So we like to, you know, get your base layers, your thermals, your wicking layers, and then your outer shells as well. Um, so that way when you pair everything up. And another big thing is we really want to push wool. A lot of people are moving to more poly. Um, wool is still tried and true. It'll keep you dry and warm all season long. Now, what are some of the biggest mistakes people make? They're just buying too heavy a clothing instead of layering up, or what are they doing? Absolutely. So typically they're going too heavy. They're not getting any base layers, um, and they're still out there, and they're cold. You know, granted, their windbreaker will break the wind, but they're still cold because they don't have their base layers 
Um, and if you're out moving around, you know, hunting for pheasants, you still want to make sure you have a wicking layer so you're not covered in sweat because you'll get cold really quickly when that happens. I know. I want to get into more in-depth on the clothing and maybe the next couple of weeks. I do used to do some survival classes, and, you know, people don't understand how quickly you can get cold if you sweat. Um, we always used to say cotton kills. And I preach, I preached that for years, yet I can tell you a story where Karen and I went snowshoeing up at Rocky Mountain National Park, and it was a beautiful day down here, and I had all my layering, I have all the right stuff, I understand it, but I left my cotton briefs on, because it's nice, and I didn't bother to change. I got up there, and we got out of the trail from snowshoeing, and maybe a car was a half a mile down the road for where we were parked, and by the time I took my snowshoes off and walked that half mile, I was shaking so bad I could barely, barely open the car door. I think I was glad Karen was with me. It can hit you so fast when you get wet in those conditions. It really can, Terry. It really can. And that's just the important thing about layering and making sure you have the right layers in the right places. Well, we know Jax has all this equipment. The important thing is people come in. You've got knowledgeable people there to help them, and you'll help them get off on the right foot, right? Absolutely. We'll be glad to help them from point A all the way to point B to make sure they have a happy hunting successful season. All right. Holden, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely, Terry. Have a great rest of your day. You bet. That's Holden from the Fort Collins Hunting Department at Jack's Outdoor Gear. We're going to take a time out and we come back. One of our favorite contributors is going to join us. And I got a feeling he's been out doing some fishing and he's going to tell us about how successful he's been. Right here on Terry Wicksham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones and <clears throat> joining us, one of our favorite contributors, Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning, Terry. Thanks for that kind introduction. Well, you know, um, the seasons are definitely changing. Fall is here. And it, uh, being an avid angler and hunter, you have trouble picking your activity this time of the year, I'm sure, with all the great hunting and all the different types of fishing. But there's probably no better time to chase big trout in Colorado than the fall, is there? No, sir. This is absolutely, without question, my favorite time of year, but also my favorite time of, of year for, for catching trout, for sure. And that's uh, kind of why I wanted to talk about it a little bit. Also, a uh, very close friend of mine, camera guy, Tim Farnsworth, his favorite as well. Uh, you know, a bunch, bunch of my group really like to catch them this time of year. And it really stems to the fact that the, or comes from the fact that the brown trout are on their, uh, on their spawn cycle. And it's not so much about fishing for those browns, you know, that are around their, their reds and stuff like that. That's not the, the thing we're to talk about, but it's the time of year that they get very aggressive and, they get the big kipe on their jaw, the big hook on the, on the jaw on the other jaw. The colors come on. They get that classic, you know, buttery color that kind of matches the leaves around here right now. And uh, they're just absolutely beautiful. But the, the reason that they that makes it so much fun is that they are very reliable. You know you're going to catch a few of them uh, almost regardless of what the weather is. Uh, you're going to catch some of them. And if you hit a decent condition, you're going to catch a lot of them. And then the bonus uh, that goes with this time of year is the fact that the rainbows and cut bows are around those brown trout because those brown trout are spewing eggs. And those rainbows and cut bows 
will then uh, take advantage of that. So in some of the lakes I want to talk about, like North Park, South Park, and the Laramie Plains lakes, you're going to have an opportunity. Really, your biggest fish are probably going to be your cutbows in most situations, but your numbers are going to be your browns. And so at the end of the day, you can pick your pick and choose which you want to target, and uh, and it really makes for a fun outing. So And for me, it's so consistent and so uh, reliable that I can carry the least amount of tackle, uh, particularly when it comes to conventional gear. I need hardly anything to target them in any of the lakes I already touched on, that North Park, South Park, Lake John, you know, uh, Hattie, Twin, any of them. Uh, I'm going to, it's going to be a one, two punch. It's going to be a hard bait, like a, a big, uh, number 11 or 13 hit stick or some sort of big, uh, buoyant jerk bait. Uh, that's going to be the first thing I'm going to, consider throwing most days and then i'm going to back that up with a jig and that jig's probably going to be a tube jig um in something like a three inch range and a natural color uh and if i don't want to throw plastics or i can't throw plastics then i'll throw a marabou jig uh but at the end of the day the jig and the jerk bait are all you really need to carry in all the years i've been chasing trout all over the state and and, and surrounding states uh at this time of year that's what makes it really fun um a couple keys, though, um, and, and I do want to mention one thing about the, the reds themselves. Uh, I had a guy give me a hard time about fishing around trout up at Delaney Butte that were clearly up in the shallow water in North Delaney. I had a long talk with a the biologist there, and he told me in as many words that they have almost zero natural recruitment. So even if those trout appear to be trying to spawn, it's not the same as, say, the Colorado River where they are not stocked. So in these lakes, the Laramie Plains lakes, the Delaney Buttes, the Spinnies, those trout look like they're spawning, and they are, but they're not going to do so successfully. So it's not something that as anglers we need to be a really conservation-oriented. The thing we need to be careful with, though, is not handling the fish too much because they you will absolutely tear the fish, you know, wear the fish out because they're in their spawn cycle. But in terms of, you know, are you going to hurt the number of fish in the lake? By fishing for them, no, absolutely not, because all those fish are stocked in there, uh, you know, by man anyway. So that's a key thing to keep in mind. Yeah, I, I had the, we had the hatchery on just a few weeks ago, <clears throat> talking about how the brown trout taking the eggs and the milt is very similar to what they do with the walleyes in Colorado, and they completely concurred with what you said, is that those lakes where they get the brown trout, there's virtually no natural reproduction. It has to be restocked with eggs that are taken and then fertilized and grown and hatched and then put back in. And, yeah, you're doing no harm at all. Like on some rivers, you're absolutely right. You know, if if you see fish on the beds or on the reds, Maybe try to find a different fish, but on those lakes you're doing, you know, we want the genetics in there. So like you said, release those big ones, but certainly no harm to the fish population. So you're going to no, go you're not going to disrupt their spawning cycle, but uh, that's important. And keep in mind, those rainbows are doing their best to disrupt the spawning cycle by eating eggs by the ton. And it's funny because if you catch a big brown, a lot of the times a big hen will have eggs coming out of her vent, of course, and you catch a big rainbow and that thing will be spitting up eggs. So depending on, you'll know you're around them when, uh, when that's going on in, in your, in your boat or, you know, whatever. And you were going to talk about some keys to the presentations, though. Yeah, I think the, the couple things for me, it, it almost always involves uh, the, chance, the potential that the fish will be, A, shallower than you think. And 
some of the best days we've had are when the weather's really bad. And I mean really bad. Like, and you know me, Terry, I'm a, I'm a cold weather wuss. But when it gets really cold and really crappy, a lot of times you're going to find fish right at your feet and right up on the bank. And they're going to be running up and down the banks and feeding very aggressively. I will go where the wind is blowing in on the lake, which is kind of day one stuff in fishing in general. But in this particular scenario, um, it all comes together because the eggs are up there as well. So the rainbows will be running real shallow with the browns and everybody's trying to get a hold of those eggs that are up there. So if I want to target the browns, I'm typically going to start with the most aggressive uh, presentation, which would be the big jerk bait. And uh, in my experience, a little jerk bait will not get you as many bites as a big one. Part of what you're doing is uh, appealing to the fact that they're territorial and just generally in a bad mood. That's why they got a big type so they can fight with each other. And they'll attack plugs, a big hard plug of some sort, very, very well, or a big streamer if you're a fly guy. But the, the, the size of it will actually help you get bites. So, like, if I'm looking at something like a Berkeley hit stick or your audience may be more familiar with a, with a floating rapala, I'm looking at, like, a number 11 or 13. I'm not looking at a 7 or, a, you know, one of the small ones, which I might throw at other times of the year because I want the bulk in the presentation to, uh, to help me get fish to bite. The other thing about that is I can throw it on big tackle. And everyone wants to, you know, want to, uh, you know, fish, bite fish on light tackle and all that. But at this time of year, with the fish being in their spawn cycle, it's better to, if you can land them quickly and release them quickly. And that's much easier to do on, you know, medium power or medium heavy even powered spinning tackle than it is, or, or maybe your six or seven or eight wave fly rod because you're throwing a great big streamer. Uh, you can land stuff on the big line and the big, big stick in a hurry and get them released. So that's a good thing. If I'm targeting the rainbows, then I'm almost without fail going to go right to the jig. And it most commonly for me is a tube jig, but it could be a marabou jig. It could be my one of my you know gold minnows, of course, or it could be one of the a little soft swim bait, a little two inch or three inch little baby swim bait. But generally, the tube jig is best, uh, or the marabou jig, and bottom contact is critical with that. And if you keep that bait on the bottom around the edges of the weed lines, and say you know, Spinney or Delaney or, or up at, that worked really well for us up at Hattie, just dragging it along the edges of the weeds. You're going to find some, some big old cut bows that will come in and get that. Some of the fattest fish you're going to see all year. Well, they really, it's kind of like the phenomena you see in Alaska, which I know you've recently been up there where the, the rainbows come out and up there they're feeding on the salmon eggs, but here they're feeding on those brown eggs. And not only does it make them aggressively feed, but they put some pounds on. You get some heavy fish. Oh, man. Some of the fattest fish you're going to see all year are going to be right around now. And, you know, we went up and, and did, uh, we, we caught the classic Hattie Fatty. You know, they, as everybody calls them up at Lake Hattie. But, I mean, this this rainbow was so fatty, could hardly even swim, it looked like. Spitting out eggs, just, I mean, just regurgitating eggs by the ton as I'm trying to get him out of the landing net because he was so full of eggs from brown trout that he, I mean, he couldn't even swallow them. And his, I mean, just ridiculous. And those eggs, of course, are extremely nutrient dense like any other egg. So there's a good chance for those fish to get really big. You know, the funny thing is I, I hesitated talking about this on the radio because it can be so simple that there's not really a lot to talk about. If you take a jig and you put it on the bottom and you drag it around and you're not getting bit, then you need to move somewhere else. And for me, it's going to come down to gravelly banks uh, with the wind blowing on them. It's going to be your best, some of those shallow little dikey areas where they've got the, the little, uh, you know, riprap and stuff. Right at the foot of the riprap can be really good. 
there's a couple spots up in North Park where there's some rock ridges in the lake. Getting on those ridges up shallow can be really good as well. But it's not rocket science. It's just really a matter of enduring the elements and making a lot of casts. And uh, if you're jigging, keep the jig on the bottom. And if you're jerkbaiting, keep that thing moving. And uh, and you're going to catch some fish. And really, if you really want to catch them, wait till the weather's horrible, the wind's blowing, it's spitting snow. You can hardly stand to be out there. Don't wear your cotton briefs though, and uh, and you'll be fine. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Hey, we got about two minutes left. Hey, how's horse tooth doing? The lake's rising like mad right now, Terry, which is a little strange because the water year normally goes to the end of October, so they'd be draining until the end of the year. I'm not quite sure what's going on. I haven't talked to Northern Colorado Water, but the lake is rising right now. Um, water temperatures are still in, well into the 50s. Um, the trout are popping pretty good. The uh, they're, they're trout that were stocked in the last couple of years, so they're not the monsters the lake is famous for. Uh, or known for per se, but these fish are all in the 12 to 16 inch range. They're popping pretty good right now. I'm sitting here looking at the bay right now, and there's quite a few trout rising. I'll also point out that I got about a 160 inch muley buck lane here, and a little smaller buck lane here as well. The ruts starting to kick off with those guys. We're seeing them push each other around too. So, beautiful time at the lake. All right, my friend. As always, great to have you on, and uh, we will talk to you again in a couple weeks. Fantastic. Enjoy the fall season, Terry. You bet. Chad LaChance, always a great resource. Before we go to break, those trout he's talking about at Horsetooth. Uh, Karen and I went out a few weeks ago to try to chase some uh, smallmouth bass on some glide baits like a jigging wrap or a Johnny Darter, those type of baits. And we, we, they were deep. And uh, a bass tournament early in the year had found those fish at about 60 feet. Couldn't really get them to go. So we decided just to make a leisurely day out of it. We put the electric motor on troll and just went trolling down the lake. We threw out a couple small crankbaits behind the boat and one that dove a little deeper and one, one, one might've been a spoon. I'm not even sure, but I think we had both crankbaits and the trout just started smacking them right away. So if you just want to have a leisurely day and catch some fish, drag a few baits. You don't have to get down deep. Something maybe gets you down five to in that zero to 10 foot range on horse tooth and you will get hit by trout and have a really really good time. Hey, I'm going to take a quick time out. We come back, we'll wrap things up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Focused on you. So, what are you waiting for? There's never been a better time to make your move. Pre-qualify for free by calling 303-695-7000 or visit them online at AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS number 182334. Call 303-695-7000 or visit AmericanFinancing.net. Congratulations on the birth of your baby girl. Thanks. We couldn't believe how much the doctor bills cost. Really? My company healthcare plan covered quite a bit when we had our son. Who are you driving for again? The Safeway Distribution Center. And we're hiring. What's the starting pay? $27.09 an hour, plus a potential $12,500 in retention bonuses and... And you go home at the end of your shift. I got a Class A CDL. Yes, and you have at least two years of experience. You should join the team. How do I apply? Just log on to SafewayDenverDC.com. Apply now at SafewayDenverDC.com. Need diesel emissions testing done today? Windways Diesel Emissions of Commerce City is your diesel emissions testing express shop. Walk-ins are welcome. Get in and out fast at Windways. Centrally located off I-70 in Quebec. Book your appointment now at WindwaysXP.com. You train for this. Become the perfect athlete. Now you're ready to trek back from that concession stand as a dancing mascot without spilling a drop of your ice-cold Bud Light. Welcome back to football, sports fans. I've put a lot of thought into my girlfriend's engagement ring. Did all the research, shopped around, 
and got lots of opinions. At first, I was planning on getting her a lab-created diamond, but after my visit to Shane Company, I changed my mind. I learned that lab-created diamonds have continually dropped in value, whereas natural diamonds have consistently maintained or increased in value over time. And all the diamonds at Shane Company are natural. What's really cool about a natural diamond is that there is no other diamond in the world like it. It's a natural wonder created by the earth billions of years ago, the oldest and rarest thing you'll ever touch. How romantic is that? And Shane Company's diamonds are conflict-free. They've always sourced their diamonds this way. So for my girlfriend's engagement ring, I chose a one-carat natural diamond for her center stone. It's spectacular, and it's one of a kind, just like she is. Now you have a friend in the jewelry business, Shane Company and Shaneco.com. I'm fond of this group. Yeah, a couple times. You know, I, I got to say, though, I was at, down in Louisiana, as people who listened last week know, I was in New Orleans for James Taylor and Jackson Brown. And uh, the show they put on, I love the Eagles. Their show in Denver that I went to here was fantastic. But James Taylor, my for his age, he just rocked it. He was just incredible. But I've been very fortunate, uh, my involvement in the music industry, and then to get to you know, go to some of these events and things. It's really, uh, really been fantastic. You're anyway, spoiled. I am spoiled, and I think I deserve it. You do. Okay, well, maybe not, but I'll take it anyway. I am very spoiled. Hey, uh, speaking of spoiled and things to do, a couple of the state parks are doing uh, Halloween things. I want to reemphasize these. You know, we've all been through kind of a weird couple of years, not to say the least, and... Uh, they're trying to get more normal activities. Cherry Creek today has what they call their trunk and treat. I think it's at 2 o'clock. Check their website. And what they're going to have is groups set up of volunteers with decorated trunks, and they're going to have trick-or-treating. That kids, You can take your kids trick-or-treating in there and get a nice outdoor activity where you're not indoors with a bunch of people if that's bothering you, and get the kids out for some real Halloween uh, activity. And next week at uh, 11 Mile, they're going to have a campground loop, and they're going to do a campground crawl, very similar. They're going to have prizes and games, and uh, they're going to do s'mores at the end. So Uh, You can go out and go through all the little stations and the kids will have activities and games. They'll get, they'll get all the things to make s'mores plus other treats and things. And so check out their website too. I think that's next week actually on Halloween. So check that one out. Just great, great activities. Get the kids out, get them involved. 